There, there, see? It uh, it didn't hurt there. It wasn't so painful. Would you uh, please give me a little romantic music, if you will, Robert, in there? Excellent, Yes, indeedy. There are some of us who are diametrically opposed to the eternal square wave generator that stands just beyond the edge of light where the campfire does not quite reach. Now, speaking of unpopular attitudes, I will now read a very bad poem. Unfortunately, very bad poetry often contains some rather interesting philosophy. Yes, it's fine to have a blowout in a fancy restaurant with terrapin and canvas back and all the wine you want. Oh, boy, to enjoy the flowers and the music and watch the pretty women pass. Smoke a choice big fat cigar and sip the wealthy water in your glass. <laughs> yes, it's great in a high-toned joint to eat and drink your fill. But... It's quite another matter when you pay the bill. Oh, yeah. Yes, it's great to go out every night on fun or pleasure bent, to wear your glad rags always, and to never save a cent, to drift along regardless. Have a good time every trip, <laughs> boy, to hit the high spot sometimes, and to, you know, just let your chances slip, to know deep down inside that you're acting foolish. Yet, go on fooling around still till nature calls a showdown and you pay the bill. Mm. Yes, time has got a little bill. Get wise while you yet may for the debit side's increasing in a most alarming way. The things you had no right to do. The things you should have done. Yes, they're all put down. It's up to you to pay for everyone. So, Dad, eat, drink, and be merry. Have a good time, if you will. Yes, but God help you when the time comes. And you foot the bill. That's it. Bring that up there a little bit. Yes, indeedy. Yes. <laughs> how about how about how about how about that for a great example of unpopular philosophies? I could just see. Ah, oh, come on. What do you mean? What's a square chance? Wow, wow, yeah, wow, 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 wow. I could just imagine some guy standing on the shore, uh, or let's say on the on the on the uh, on the side of the swimming pool, you know, in Rome, and they're bringing in the boar's head, and somebody's bringing in four hundred pounds of grapes, and they got the Nubian handmaidens out there, and this guy's saying, well, looks like fun, Fred, you know, nothing like a good orgy, but gee, I wonder who's paying for the the roast oxen here, I wonder who's buying all the grapes, and uh, where are we getting all them Nubian handmaidens, how much does it cost an hour, wow, and somebody hollers, Evo, get that square out of here, he's lousing up the whole scene. Uh, who, who, I will award you a brass figlegi with bronze oak leaf plum if you can tell me who that, who that author was. And it was not Edgar Guest. I can guarantee you that. It was not Edgar Guest. Very unpopular. I saw, uh, on TV the other night. Talk about a profligate world. I'm, I'm watching TV and they have this little commercial comes on for this loan company thing. And it shows a quick shot. It shows a boat going. Wow, you see this, this yacht go, it goes past the screen, 
and you see a quick shot of a lot of lights, and you see a shot of a marquee. It's one of these montage shots. And the voice comes in, and he says, Yes, live a little better. Go down to see your friendly Euchre Loan Company. Yes, live a little better. Go down and borrow dough. <laughs> And I'm thinking, holy smoke, you know, go down, go down to the loan company. Can you imagine yourself going into the loan company? And they say, well, sir, uh, what would you like to use this money for? And I said, well, I just want a good time. I want to go out and get drunk. I'd like to uh, put down the down payment on a 48-foot yacht, and I'd like to buy two $20 tickets to see Whoopi or the, the Hot Shop Follies of 1966. And I'd like to have a little party down at Sardi's. And the guy says, oh, well, I see, that's... You, where, where did you hear about it? He said, well, I saw it on television. I saw the ad there. The guy says, well, you've come to the right place. Here it goes, $300 on your signature only. Good luck, fella. Good luck. Only in America. You know that I understand that the candle industry has now brought out a candle that has three ends that burn simultaneously. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, speaking of, uh, of that kind of, uh, a great kind of, uh, I don't know, it's kind of a half-baked uh, kind of thinking about, you know, today, here today, go out tomorrow, whoopee, let's all go down the train. Keep that up, Bob. We're going to use that one, the one with the piano there. Um, there was another one that I saw. What was the one? It was great. Another another loan company spot that was just fantastic, where where it says uh, it shows this guy in trouble, see, and he's sitting there with all his bills all around him. He's got bills and he's working away there, and uh, you can see him. He's he's uh, he's burning the midnight oil and he's trying to trying to figure out where he, where his money's looking. Very worried, and all of a sudden the little kid comes in and says, "Daddy, Daddy, why don't you just go down to?" to the Huawei Loan Company and just put all your bills in one big sack and they'll take care of it. They're down there. right. And he says, by George, that's the way to do it. And the next scene, there's a quick cut and you see the whole family at a picnic and he's so delighted now that he, he's put all his bills in one big whopping bill. <laughs> one big solid whopping bill. It says, you realize, don't you, that your life is a Roman candle. Who said that? Some smart guy. What do you mean, smart guy? My life is a Roman candle. There's no Italians in my family. <laughs> Not that I have anything against that, but for crying out loud. You know, uh, speaking of Roman candle lives, I'm still intrigued by this uh, headmaster in the English school. Uh, for, all, for those of you who are school teachers out there, I'd like to repeat this for the East Coast here. A little note here. It says, uh, from... Chesham, England. Parents protested recently in Chesham, England, after the local school's deputy headmaster called 380 pupils together, this is in England, between 11 and 17 years of age, and read them a list of rude words he had seen printed on lavatory walls. And he says, don't use them again. That's, uh, that reminds me of about 500 publications I know who, who are constantly deploring uh, nudity. And, and so they do it by showing you pictures. <laughs> yeah, did you read about the reverend up there? Did you hear about the guy they busted recently? There was a reverend uh, somewhere, and, uh, and I'm just quoting it, so don't, don't come back and say shepherds being sacrilegious. I'm just telling you what happened. There was some guy in Canada, and he was a minister. And they, they found in his house, they found 14,000 pounds of the most wild, insane pornography 
this side of the, uh, this side of of the American Legion Hall on a Saturday night at two o'clock in the morning with the guys standing around with the smoke coming out of their ears, you know. And this guy had all his stuff. I'll tell you, he had films. He had uh, he had the little books, you know, that they sell. Uh, you've seen the little books with the green covers. Uh, with the comic strip peoples in there running around doing stuff you never see him doing on a Sunday afternoon in the in the funnies, you know. He had he had the records. He had all this stuff, and they came in there, you know. And he had, oh boy, he had it all going. It was coming out of his loudspeakers, and he had the pictures on the walls. And when they asked him what he was doing it for, he said, he says, "Well, I've got to know the enemy." <laughs> oh man. Yeah, what crimes, O oh righteousness, are committed in thy name? Bring it up there. Rasmus, Moody, Moody, Oh yeah, it just doesn't. Be... Hey, would you please get me a little of that? Uh, yeah, keep keep that keep that piano music there. Now I'm going to give you a testy here. A little testy. Hang out there. I want. I'm just put put you on the spot. See how how literary you are. I will give you a brass figurey with bronze oak leaf palm. If you can tell me the name of the man who wrote this this little short story, just a tiny short story, it's a guy who wrote short stories that were only one paragraph long. Uh, would you please uh, uh, dig in my my fifty great moments of music there and get me uh, real good mood music in there? I think uh, dramatic mood music. That's good. That's good. Right there. Give me give me uh, cut one on side two. I think that'll make it all the way. That's that's good stuff. This uh, we'll set the mood here. Get the, get, get out your paper and pencil now. This is the fifty thousand dollar award. Okay, all set there out there. Already in there, Bob. Yes, sir. That's my baby. All right, here we go. We must first set the dramatic scene where this is occurring. It is a man talking to you quietly. He is sitting in a bar. He has been drinking somewhat heavily. He is telling you a story called Neighbors. Once I lay in a hospital for two weeks while an old man died by inches across the hall. Apparently a very painful death as it was plainly a very tedious business. I would hear him breathing heavily for 15 or 20 minutes and then he would begin shrieking in agony and yelling for his orderly, Charlie, Charlie, Charlie! Now and then a nurse would come into my room and report progress. Uh, The old fellow's kidneys have given up. He can't last the night. Or... I suppose the next choking spell will do it. Thus he fought his titanic fight with the gnawing rats of death. And thus I lay listening, myself quickly recovering from a sanguinary and indecent operation. Did the shrieks of the old man startle me, worry me, torture me, set my nerves on edge? Not at all. I had my meals to the accompaniment of piteous yells. But day by day, I ate them more heartily. I lay still in bed, read a book, or smoked a cigar. I damned my own twinges and fading malaises. I argued ignorantly with the surgeons. (laughs) I made polite love to the nurses who happened in. At night, I slept soundly, 
the noise retreating benevolently as I dropped off. Add when the old fellow died at last, snarling and begging for mercy with his last breath, the unaccustomed stillness made me feel lonesome and sad, like a child robbed of a tin whistle. But when a young surgeon came in half an hour later, and having died to his content, testified to it by sucking his teeth, cold shudders ran through me from stem to stern. The title of that short story, Neighbors. From the chart, temperature 99.7, respiration rising to 65, and then suddenly suspended. The face is flushed, the eyes are glazed and half-closed. There is obviously a subnormal reaction to external stimuli. A fly upon the ear is unnoticed. The auditory nerve is anesthetic. There's a swaying of the whole body and an apparent failure of coordination. Probably the effect of some disturbance in the semicircular canals of the ear. The hands tremble and then clutch wildly. The head is inclined forward as if to approach some object on a level with the shoulder. The mouth stands partly open and the lips are puckered and damp. Of a sudden there is a sound as of a deep and labored inspiration suggesting the upward curve of Shane Stokes breathing. Then comes silence for 40 seconds followed by a quick relaxation of the whole body and then a sharp gasp. One of the interns has kissed a nurse somewhere. Who wrote that? That sinister little short story called From the Chart. Oh, no, that's not from the collected works of Earl Wilson. That's tonight's cue. <laughs> all right, all right. You want to you hear more of his strange work? Uh, speaking of The Last Gasp, this is WNAC AM and WRKO FM, The Brave Stations, standing atop, athwart the bulwark here in Boston. Listen here. What did I do here? All right, would you get, get that stuff already in there? Just just hold on one minute. Now, I'm going to... I Here is a subtly ironic piece of writing. Uh, not only ironic, bitter. Uh, do, you, do, you, do you sense a peculiar bitterness running through this, or is it just my distorted, twisted mind? Uh, no, 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 no. Bitterness, bitterness is a curious thing. I think it's inbuilt in all of men. I do not think bitterness is a thing that just a few people have. I think most people have it and are ashamed of it, <laughs> or try to hide it, or try to pretend that they don't have it, or in one way or another they 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 turn it into something else somehow. But bitterness, I think, comes from the from. I think it comes from being a human being. I, I don't think it has anything to do with what's happened to you. I don't think... Well, of course, I, I think there is a kind of bitterness that does. This is something else again. But I'm talking about that inbuilt bitterness that comes from the realization that you're mortal. That curious feeling always of, of having... of being here on a rented lease, you know? It's like uh, the temporary... You're here temporarily. Maybe it's because man knows about history. And uh, he, he knows that there will be a future... And he knows there's just a now. Listen to this peculiar piece here. See if you can identify who this was. Oh, boy, that's a rotten crumb. 
ironic, bitter, I'm going to drink muddy water music. I'm going to sit here in the kitchen with my feet out in the hall. I'm going to go down to the river there and drink deep of that rotten, crummy, poisonous, muddy water. Because what you did to me, baby. Now, wait a minute. Cut it. That thing's got too big a pop on it, Bob. Flip it over. There's another blues on there called Tishomingo Blues. Just lay it down in the middle, and that'll be just as good. That's just as rotten and just as raunchy. All right, bring it in there. This was written about 1903. It's called Ambition. They brought the mighty chief to town. They showed him the strange, unwanted sights. Yet, as he wandered up and down... He seemed to scorn their vain delights. His face was grim. His eye lacked fire as one who mourns a glory dead. And when they sought his heart's desire, me like em, tooth gold, he said. A dental place they quickly found. He neither moaned nor moved his head. They pulled his teeth so white and round. They put in teeth of gold and said, Oh, you never saw a man so gay. His very being seemed to swell. Aha, he now cried. Now, Injun say, ha ha, me, he, big chief. Me, look like hell. <laughs> oh, wow. That reminds me of some friends of mine who put all their life savings in the big, fat, long cars with fins. Me, he, big chief. Me, look like hell. That was not Edgar Guest, friends. All right, all right, let's see. Uh, if you're the average American, we have a note here that says you can read about 250 words a minute. But if you took Evelyn Wood's course in reading dynamics, you could read a 1,000 words per minute or more. These are actual statistics and not invented. It's the same course taught to our United States senators in 59 and 60 under the late John Kennedy. And here's what... Senator Symington said after taking Evelyn Wood's course, and I'm quoting him here, I can read most material at speed above 3,000 words a minute and technical material at 2,000 words a minute. If you'd like to learn more about this course, you're invited to attend the free special demonstrations being held tomorrow, February 9th at 5 and 8 p.m. at the Reading Dynamics Institute, 17 Arlington Street in Boston and Thursday at 8 p.m. only at the Hotel Continental in Cambridge, Mass. Okay? Now, I want to... There's something I want to do here. I, there's a certain kind of writing which... Uh, well, very few people are capable of it to begin with. Uh, that's the panoramic school of writing. Uh, there aren't many people because today most people spend most of their time contemplating their own navels. Now, I don't know what it is in the wind or, or in our world. Maybe it's, maybe it's advancing technology, one thing and another. But most people today, if you notice that very few movies or stories today are concerned with anything other than the specific relationship between a man and a girl, uh, that forms the basis of almost everything that's done today, which means that the writer is concerned only with whether or not this chick is going to dig him as he sits at the breakfast table, whether or not uh, this situation... It's, it's very personal, and it's uh, really, in a way, a small part of the personality. The, and now, I'm going, to, I'm going to give you a brass figdiggy here if you can tell me the name of this writer. Nobody has recognized this, 
this writer so far, have they? Has anyone called? Oh, yeah, I know it. He, uh, has anyone called in? Isn't that interesting? Now, now this is a, a, an American writer, of course. And the American panoramic school of writing is a very, it's a very distinct thing that runs through the American writing world of the 20th century. For example, Dos Passos is a, is a classic example of the panoramic writer. Uh, and even up to a point, uh, Sinclair Lewis. Uh, he, he, uh, even though he personalized it, he nevertheless wrote about a whole class of society. He, he dealt, when he dealt with Babbitt, he wrote about a whole, uh, whole way of life. He didn't necessarily write about himself or his Uncle Charlie or his love life or his hang-up. He was writing about something he was observing. Here, here's an example of the panoramic school. In fact, he calls, give, give me a little romantic music, I think. A little, a little quiet guitar music would do it here. Yeah, because that, that fits the panoramic school. The, uh, in fact, this little piece that he wrote here is simply called Panorama of People. And it's, of course, American. There you go. Panoramas of People. One. Panorama the First. Men. Fat, slick, round-faced men of the sort who haunt barbershops and are always having their shoes shined. Tall, gloomy, gothic men with eyebrows that meet over their noses and bunches of black, curly hair in their ears. Men wearing diamond solitaires, fraternal order watch charms, golden elk's heads with rubies for eyes. <laughs> Men with thick, loose lips and shifty eyes who wear gray fedoras. Men smoking pale, spotted cigars. Men who do not know what to do with their hands when they talk to women. Honorable, upright, successful men who seduce their stenographers and are kind to their mothers. Men who allow their wives to dress like chorus girls, always. White-faced, scared-looking, yellow-eyed men who belong to societies for the suppression of vice. Men who boast loudly that they neither smoke nor drink. Men who, who mop their bald heads with perfumed handkerchiefs. Men with drawn, mottled faces in the last stages of arteriosclerosis. Silent, stupid-looking men in thick tweeds who tramp up and down the decks of ocean steamers. Men who peep out of hotel rooms at Swedish chambermaids. Men who go to church on Sunday morning carrying Oxford Bibles under their arms and who walk with tight, fast steps. Men in dress coats too tight under their arms. Tea-drinking men. Loud, back-slapping men gabbling endlessly about sports. Men who have never, ever heard of Mozart. Tired businessmen with fat, glittering wives. Men who know what to do when children are sick. Men who believe that any woman who smokes is a prostitute. Yellow, diabetic men. Men whose veins are on the outside of their noses. Now, and very rarely, a man with a clear eye. 
<laughs> what a strange picture. It's Hieronymus Bosch. Now, Panorama 2. Women. Fat women with flabby double chins. Moon-faced, pop-eyed women in little flat hats. Women with starchy faces and thin vermilion lips who hand out tracks on street corners. Man-shy, suspicious women shrinking into their clothes every time a wet, caressing eye alights upon them. Women soured and robbed of their souls by Christian endeavor. Women who would probably be members of the Lake Mohawk Conference if they were men. Gray-haired, middle-aged, waddling women, wrecked and unsexed by endless, useless, nursing, worry, sacrifice. Women who look as if they were still innocent yesterday afternoon. Women in shoes that bend their insteps to preposterous semicircles. Women with green barbaric bangles in their ears, like the concubines of Arab horse thieves. <laughs> Women looking in shop windows, wishing that their husbands were not such poor sticks. Shapeless women, lolling in $6,000 motor cars. Trig little blondes, stepping like Shetland ponies. Women smelling of musk, amber grease. Long-legged, cadaverous, hungry women. Women, eager to be kidnapped, betrayed, forced into marriage at the pistol point. Soft, pulpy, pale women. Women with ginger-colored hair and large, irregular freckles. Women just walking, looking at chauffeurs and street cleaners. Women with slim-shanked, whining, sticker-finger children dragging after them. Women marching like grenadiers. Women with red hands. Women with rococo ears. Stoop-shouldered women. Women with huge hips. Bow-legged women. Appetizing women. Good-looking women. <laughs> Babies. Panorama 3. Babies smelling of cologne water, wet laundry, and dog soap. Babies who appear old, disillusioned, and tired of life at six months. Babies that cry daddy to blushing youths of 19 at church picnics. Fat babies whose earlobes turn out at an angle of 45 degrees. Soft, pulpy babies asleep in perambulators, the sun shining straight into their faces. Babies gnawing the tails of synthetic dogs. Babies without necks. Pale babies of the third and fourth generation, damned because their grandfathers and great-grandfathers read Tom Paine. <laughs> babies of a bluish tinge or with vermilion eyes. Thin, cartilaginous babies that stretch when they're lifted. Warm, damp, miasmatic babies affectionate, ingratiating, gurgling babies, the larvae of life insurance solicitors, fashionable doctors, Episcopal rectors, dealers in Mexican mine stock, handshakers, Sunday school superintendents. Hungry babies, absurdly sucking their thumbs. Babies with heads of thick, coarse black hair, seeming to be toupees. <laughs> unbaptized babies dedicated to the devil. <laughs> babies.
babies that crawl out from under tables and are promptly stepped on and are usually so all their lives. Babies with lintels, grains of corn or shoe buttons up their noses, purple in the face and waiting for the doctor or the embalmer. <laughs> Do you want to hear his, his, his uh, panorama of patriots? Patriots wearing little enameled American flags in their coat lapels. <laughs> Patriots who failed to fool the draft boards and now demand that they be indemnified in cash. Yes, they're everywhere. Patriots who sent anonymous letters to the Department of Justice describing the suspicious doings of their neighbors. They are everywhere. Patriots who engage naturalized aliens in conversation. Yes, and who then wrote letters to the editor about it. On and on and on and on. The patriot who marches in parades. Now, who, who is that? Who would you say? Now, that, that's, that's enough of that for a minute. I'm just, just curious because this is a kind of writing that is uh, more of a panoramic. Uh, it's, it's, it's a curious kind of writing. Uh, it's... it's uh, uh, do you want to? Do you want to hear? Uh, wait now. Here, uh, wait a minute. Let me see what I do with this thing. Here it is. <clears throat> yeah. No, By the way, he's the same guy that wrote the plays that I talked about here a couple of months back. Now, here, here he writes. Here he writes some. What's that? Who did? No, 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 no. It's not T. S. Eliot. No, 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 no. Who? Me? I didn't write it. What? Oh, you want me to pick up the phone? Yeah. What's the matter? Yeah. 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 Yeah, here we go. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Quick, quick. Some lady called up furious and said, I'm attacking women. She didn't call up and say I was attacking men before when I was talking about lumpy men with veins on their, on their noses. No, I see. Only women I was attacking. I see. <laughs> Isn't it funny? You know, I'll tell you, there's a curious thing uh, going in this world. I've noticed this, and maybe, you, maybe you're not aware of it, but I'm aware of it because I'm in mass communication. That's an interesting call. That I just read the work of a writer who's been dead for a long time to show a woman being duped or, say, being dumb or uh, being uh, sneaky, sneaking out on her husband or anything like that. 14,000 women will immediately yell and write in and say that this was an attack on women. You can do anything you want with men. You can show men sneaking out on their wives, you know, the whole Dagwood Bumstead bit, and trying to pull it over Blondie's eyes and sneak out and cheat and do all this stuff. Nobody ever protests that. But the women are... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we got one letter from one <laughs> who, who signed herself lobbyist. That's all. <laughs> and did not realize how funny she was. But this this is a this is a genuine fact, and I'm not making any I'm not making any uh, value judgment here at all. But I can tell you this: that I can come on and I can talk about boobism among men all I want on the air, and I will get no complaints, uh, none at all. If I all I have to do is say that there are fat women, that there exists some women who have fallen arches. And instantly there will be, I want to tell that man that's on the radio that he's anti-woman. And I'm sure already now I'm getting five calls from ant from people who are saying that I'm anti-woman because I'm pointing this out, Bob. 
This is a fact. This, this incidentally, goes back to the same problem that runs rampant here in America. I think it's one of the things that we have going. And that is that we often blame the doctor for the disease. That, that many people are angry with doctors because they haven't cured cancer yet. And, and, and oh, I've, I've heard this many times in my own, in my own uh, immediate family. I've heard uh, elderly uncles uh, carry on. They'll say, oh, I don't believe in doctors. And you say, why? Well, I'll never forget old Charlie. Why, Charlie was fine until the day he went to see that doctor. And by God, two weeks later, he died. He just like that. Uh, the implication, of course, being that the doctor was somehow subtly uh, behind it all, that Charlie would still be alive today. He'd be 174 if he hadn't gone to see that crummy doctor, blaming the doctor for the disease. So uh, this this little illustration, did you get three more angry letters? Call? Oh, no. It's, uh, it's funny, though, that, that one woman should call up and say, I'm anti-woman. And I kept saying over and over again, this was a writer who was looking at the world in a panoramic way. He put down men. He just wrote the way people are, walking along Fifth Avenue. Listen carefully. You want me to read a little more of it so you can go back and see what I'm saying? But I, I think people have selective hearing. I think they definitely have selective hearing. I doubt very much whether that lady who called in angrily even, even listened much when I was talking about men, except to say, Amen, Amen, they are rotten, yeah, they're terrible, Amen, Amen. <laughs> and the minute you mention women, oh, wow, that's terrible, you just can't do it. You know, I wonder whether people recognize, I mean, just walking around, private citizens recognize how deeply that has gone into our society that uh, I have sat in a hundred program meetings uh, in my time. I mean, important high-level meetings where an entire radio station or a television station or a magazine is about to prepare its program listings for the fall. And uh, the one thing they mention constantly, that they talk about eternally, is the women. Uh, programs are almost entirely done for women in all walks of television, radio, so on down the line. And no one, no one seems to ever question this. It's just accepted as a fact. Uh, if, however, I were to suggest a program exclusively for men, you know who would attack that? Women. They would. In fact, that has happened. Uh, on several occasions, I, re I remember working in a radio station that had endless hours of, uh, of feminine programming. They had cooking stuff, and they had fashion jazz, and they had women commentators and that. And the, and the station decided uh, that in some poor little ridiculous hour, like 3 o'clock Sunday morning, it was going to do a little 15-minute uh, show devoted to fishing, hunting, and automobiles. Uh, by, and believe me, they, they, they got angry letters. What's this junk doing on the air? What's this ridiculous pap? This is silly. All from women. Hundreds and hundreds of women. And I don't recall many men writing to uh, a, a women's program and asking why the heck it's on the air. Uh, <clears throat> and it's a curious problem that we have here today, uh, where, where uh, very few shows are done. I think this is one of the reasons why there is such widespread uh, resentment of Playboy magazine. I really do. It frankly says it's a male magazine, and it represents the male, a male point of view. And this is resented highly by many women. Uh, and yet I don't know many men who, represent, uh, who resent Cosmopolitan. That's, uh, for heaven's sakes, that's, what is it? Helen Gurley Brown edits it even. I mean, <laughs> speaking of anti-men. Uh, uh, and yet, you know, it's just accepted. 
and, and, and you walk along, uh, you take a look at the newsstand, you see hundreds and hundreds of, of magazines that are devoted to women and their attitudes. And they can be, incidentally, uh, if, if you think your, your irritation about a uh, Playboy, we'll say, just an example, or several others, but Playboy is based on the fact that it, say, deals with sex occasionally. Forget it. Have you ever read any of the lady magazines? Have you? Let me tell you this. There are columns in at least a half dozen lady magazines I know that not only deal with sex, but they deal with it in such a fantastically clinical fashion that if Playboy ever tried to do that, they would be banned from every newsstand in the country overnight. Now, the way the women's magazines get by with it all the time is to have it be, quote, a doctor <laughs> conducts a column, you know, that kind of thing. And wow, talk about clinical sex. Woo! And it's called a family magazine. So I suspect the reason it, it goes much deeper than what is in a magazine or in a program, I believe the reason goes into the, uh, I suppose you might say, the, the subtle way that almost everything today is aimed at one segment of the society. Actually, there are two segments of the society that most programming is aimed at. Uh, that is, of course, the woman, primarily. Secondarily, the teenager today. Uh, that this is this has become a sacrosanct audience along with women. It's an accepted big block audience. I don't know any big block male audience really. Uh, and, and even what there is on for men is generally resented by large sections of the audience. For example, occasionally they'll put on a football game, and uh, this is resented loudly. And, and have you ever watched daytime television? I mean, if it isn't possible to watch it, I, I, I can't. I, I mean, have you ever endured daytime television? Well, well, there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of programs. It seems like there's one endless program with a large, fat, middle-aged lady called uh, Lady Yap or or Lady Blab, and they sit there endlessly blabbing about men and ladies and sex and all this jazz. And I don't know of one show called Men Talk. Not one. I don't even know of one. Not anywhere. Not one. You know, one show called the called you know male male blab, uh, where where men sit around and 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 talk about women. You know the way the way they do about. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry that that uh, that uh, struck me funny too, but it's quite true, and and uh, I I'm just uh, just just curious how deeply into our society this will eventually go. I have no way of knowing. Uh, have you noticed? Have you noticed the new ads about cars? How, how they're even admitting this now? Forget the, the, the fact that, that the male, the, the man of the family, no longer uh, is given a voice in anything. He doesn't. He doesn't pick the car. And hey, did you see the, the latest ad for the Mustang? It shows the guy bought the car because his 14-year-old kid told him. <laughs> did you see that one? What a sad ad! You know, it says, "Yeah, my my kid told me that's the greatest car to buy." And by George, and it shows the picture then of the car. Talk about a uh, little subtle uh, admission of things. It shows the car then in full, uh, full profile, and the kid is driving it. And in the back seat, looking out of the little back window, is the daddy, the guy who's footing the bills. And uh, nobody, you know, nobody uh, seems to think this is a this is an anti-male or anti-father or anti-husband ad. But I, I just just wanted you to know that the only person who called up and complained about the reading of the panoramas here, and I read one on babies, one on men, and one on women, was an irate female who called in and said it was anti-woman. Now, there, there you go. That's what's called loading. 
It's not really loading the dice. You just got to keep your eye on all those little moving walnut shells. You got to keep your eye on the pea. And to make sure you keep your knees loose, fella. <laughs> Always. And keep your head down. That's it.